0: Good day, everyone. Welcome to Go Bold. So the past couple of weeks have had some interesting events happen over the skies of North America. Most of us are aware that the North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD as it is commonly known, has for the first time since its creation shot down objects that were in North American airspace. For those that don't know, NORAD is a United States and Canada binational organization charged with the missions of aerospace warning, aerospace control, and maritime warning for North America. According to NORAD, aerospace warning includes the detection, validation, and warning of attack against North America, whether by aircraft, missiles, or space vehicles. Perhaps there will be an addition to that statement because the first object shot down on February 4th was a suspected high-altitude surveillance balloon which was deployed by China, who for their part called it a civilian airship that had deviated far from its planned course due to limited self-steering capability. Most of us saw footage of the large balloon, which supported an underslung apparatus, including solar panels and what intelligence officials believe are various instruments and sensors. Floating at an altitude of approximately 60,000 feet, the balloon was first detected over Alaska, after which it traveled down through Canada and across the United States. On the direction of military officials and the U.S. government, NORAD directed fighters to shoot down the balloon once it was off the coast of South Carolina. This location was selected as it posed the least threat to people on the ground. This event was the first time the U.S. Air Force F-22 Raptor has made an air-to-air kill, and it did so using the relatively new AIM-9X Sidewinder, a short-range heat-seeking missile. This event was followed by subsequent detections and shoot-downs of high-altitude objects over northern Alaska on February 10th, the Yukon Territory on February 11th, and Lake Huron on February 12th. These objects were described as cylindrical or octagonal and were floating at altitudes between 20,000 and 40,000 feet, and they were smaller than the original balloon that was shot down off the coast of South Carolina. Are these balloons a new occurrence? Are they threats to national security or to commercial aviation? Did they fly through gaps in radar coverage? And is using missiles the best way to shoot them down? Well, we invited retired Lieutenant General Yvonne Blondin to give his expert opinion in answering these questions and others. General Blondin is eminently qualified to speak to these events as he served as a CF-18 fighter pilot who has conducted NORAD missions. And as a general officer, he served in various command positions at NORAD before serving as the commander of the Royal Canadian Air Force, which made him the topmost officer in the Air Force. I can't think of anyone better to discuss this with, and it's exactly what we do here at Go Bold. We have senior leaders share their expert insight on topics that are meaningful to Allied forces around the world. Before we begin, let's set the stage with the actual audio between F 22 fighter pilots and controllers during the first NORAD shootdown of the high altitude balloon off the coast of South Carolina. This audio is widely available and distributed in the public domain.
1: Thanks, on. Frank, one, Hunter's. Hunter's Frank 01,
2: Frank one, Hunter's Clarification A9X Preferred, Other ordnance Authorized. 6 to
1: 8 nautical miles from shore, preferred. 6 to 12 nautical miles, authorized. I'll copy. Frank 1, copy all visual eagle 2. Huntress. Under COI headed to under TOI headed east 4351 Frank 1, Huntress. Huntress, Frank 1.
2: Frank 1, Huntress, supersonic, authorized. Intermediate to avoid populated areas. Frank 1. Two. 100. Eagle 1, Hunter, for Eagle 1. Eagle 1, Hunter, 1, uh, Eagle flight on good eyeball uh, on track. Hey firm. Uh, there's a lot of masking since we're so much lower than it, so we have to stay a little bit further away. But uh, intermittent all the way throughout these uh, turns, we have good eyeball. 100.
1: Package, Frank 1, Steak, Charlie, Zulu. 535, five, Bullseye, 011, one, one, 15, 64,000, heading 140, right-hand turns. Huntress, right one. Hey, we're going to need you to back us up because we don't have a high-fidelity line on the coastline. Looking for you to provide uh, six miles met call when you are observing the COI at 6 nautical miles off of the will go Frank one
2: Frank 1 Eagle 1 That's 897, maintaining Whiskey 137
1: will be your outcast Frank 1 copies, we do not have Whiskey 137 plotted unfamiliar, we'll meet a bra
2: About 100 miles south of Whiskey 177, seven. very far south
1: Copy y'all and 100 outcast for uh, post engagement 9 eight to be uh, turning northbound to meet us.
2: Frank 1, Eagle 100, update seven currently 66 miles. We'll
1: have them track once for staff engagement. Frank 1. Eagle 1, Frank 1, what luck, laser?
2: Uh, have got a few times, not at the
1: moment. Frank Eagle one, Frank one, request you push to my district I'm secure. Eagle pushing two three three five two five. Frank one over secure. Andres, Frank one. Frank one hundred. Just an amendment to the game plan, just based on the limited ability for Eagle one to uh, point for Frank one. Uh, Eagle one will just marshal and commit north. Uh, in a trail of Frank 1. That will still, uh, that was still bring your support, but it'll, uh, help geometry to, uh, help point, uh, POI 1. Okay,
2: So, Frank, just like this, where I'm at currently, and he's got a, a 180 heading and a slight climbing left-hand turn.
1: Copy y'all. You guys will, uh, own confliction from Frank above 350. Legal. Okay. Raptor, or, uh, Frank, check checkmate? Frank, one request? Frank, 100. Just for our, uh, posturing to I'm um, requesting conditions, uh, that's time estimate for six miles offshore. Hunter is coming, standby by. Frank, 100, clear. Frank, one, go. Frank zero 01, Huntress, Track Charlie U.
2: 525, 050, 15, 64000, Track East, Hostel. Your no order to engage. Time is 1928, U.S., Quebec, Yankees.
1: 6 to 8 nautical miles offshore preferred. 6 to 12 nautical miles offshore, off-right. Huntress, Frank 01. Engage, Charlie Zulu, 535, Bullseye, 050, 15, 64,000, track east. Rank 1 is proceeding, outbound, copy restrictions, 6 to 8 nautical miles offshore preferred, 6 to 12 nautical miles offshore authorized. Conscious, good copy. Package, standby game plan. Package, three-stakes, TOI-1, Charlie Zulu, 535, five, Bullseye, zero, 050, five, zero, 15, heading, 140, left-hand turns. Eagle. Eagle, support, Angels as desired, point, TOI-1, Charlie Zulu, 535. Five.
2: Eagle, welcome.
1: Frank, Shooter. Attack heading 140, profile 1.3 mile. delivery 5 miles, shot range 2. Eagle. Frank, ops check 1, 12.2. Frank 2, thanks. And Huntress, uh, as a reminder from Frank 1, we're looking for you to count every single mile that the off uh, gained offshore.
2: Huntress, copy.
1: Track, 2 nautical miles offshore
2: right. Huntress, 3 miles offshore Eagle One, hard left Huntress, 4 miles offshore Frank, right. right. if you can top to the right you right Frank, can you give me about a 30 second out call if you
1: Right, Frank, we'll go I am your T-Shift, flowing north for the inbound out Copy all. We will turn inbound when we get the 5 nautical mile off. Okay, good enough job. We are cold left. Clutch 5 miles offshore.
2: Eagle can getting go hot now. Ready. Package in, in right. Frank. Sprint. That might just turn about 30 seconds to go on right. Frank 1. Frank 2
1: Frank 1 is switch is hot. Frank 2, 65. Huntress, Frank 1, stay range offshore. Huntress, Scotty, have one. Eagle 1, good eyeball. Passing enemy, Frank. Frank 2, I'm
2: crossing slightly in front of you, so you can just at the altitude. Frank 2. Frank, 10 seconds. Huntress, 6 miles offshore.
1: Frank 1. Frank 1, last one, COI 1. Huntress, copy, flash.
2: That is a big kill. The balloon is completely destroyed. Hunches. Hunches. All planes Hunches, stand by. Frank one works after a refuel. Eagle one will be on scene commander. Maintain eye ball. And stand by 9 9 3 1 1 sees what appears to be metal chaff clouds, so I definitely see metal breaking apart and strewn for an altitude attack Hunches
1: All players please confirm, weapon safe, roll so call Rank 1, switch is safe Switches, switch 1, switch it, weapon safe Eagle 2, weapon safe Hunches
2: copy, all players weapon safe Eagle is committing in the climb, of above 3 5 year to
1: get a full falling degree Eagle 1, Frank 1, you have on team command. Frank is flowing 2-0. Eagle 1.
0: So now that we have some flavor of what happened, let's cue the music so we can unpack all of this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Go Bold. My name is Jody Atariwala, and I am your host. And today, I'm very happy to have as a guest a true friend to this podcast. He has been in a number of episodes, and he's always provided firsthand detailed and accurate accounts of what happens in the military. Joining me today is retired Lieutenant General Yvonne Blondin, Prior to reaching that level of being commander of the Royal Canadian Air Force, uh, General Blondin also served in NORAD. So he has a wealth of knowledge, both in Air Force tactics, because he was a CF-18 fighter pilot, and obviously as commander of the Air Force, you can't get any higher than that. So General Blondin, I welcome you to the show again. Thank you so much for joining me.
3: Jody, it's always a pleasure to join you.
0: We have a lot to talk about, General, because history has been made uh, the first time ever that NORAD has conducted some kinetic actions where they've shot something down over North America, and it has now happened more than once. So I can't think of a better person to have talk through the events of the past couple of weeks than yourself. So let's start off with, with, give me a little bit of a sense of, of your background, your expertise from NORAD and flying fighters, because- this is all part of this whole story of the last couple of weeks.
3: Yeah, well, uh, as you said, my background is flying uh, CF-18s when I was a young pilot. And of course, uh, everything flying uh, in the RCF uh, in those days and today still means that uh, you're going to be flying for NORAD. You're going to be participating in the, uh, the air defense of uh, North America. So I did this as a pilot. I did this as a squadron commander. And eventually I became the uh, air division commander in Winnipeg, uh, which is also the commander of the Canadian region of Uh, uh So I participated in the uh, security events, the uh, air defense events, uh, And uh, uh, I I did a couple of years in Colorado Springs, which is the the NORAD headquarters responsible for all three regions, the Canadian region, the Alaska region and the continental uh, US region. So I I saw the uh, command and control from from the pilot point of view to the uh, tactical, the operational point of view and the strategic point of view uh, when we were in Colorado Springs and uh, could even observe the political point of view uh, when I was in Ottawa as the commander of the RCF.
0: Yeah, like I said, I, think, I don't think there's a better person to, to comment on the events of the last two weeks than yourself, General. Um, so maybe we should set the stage and tell me, uh, you know, for, for those that might not be aware, perhaps up until the last two weeks, what exactly is NORAD and what are the capabilities that NORAD has? Like, How do they actually detect objects in the sky?
3: Well, NORAD, from its uh, creation, uh, was a uh, response to, uh, to the Soviet, at the time, the Soviet Union threat, bombers that could come over the North Pole and attack the, uh, the U.S. And, of course, Canada sat between the U.S. and uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, so it was, uh, it was the, uh, the early defense that the U.S. Could, uh, could put in the North. And since our population in Canada is very close to the uh, U.S. border, defending the North strategically was, uh, was good for, for everybody. So we, we built a, a, a NORAD shield, a NORAD barrier with, with radars that first were at the uh, tree line and, and then it was the, uh, uh, over the Arctic, the North Warning System, a chain of radars that would cover everything in the North uh, close to the ocean and extended over the East and the Western Coasts. So this shield would be protecting North America. It was a warning. And eventually, if something came through that shield, we would know because we had the radars up north and uh, we could launch airplanes, we could launch missiles to defend ourselves. This is how NORAD was was born. And this is is how we built our our defense uh, common between the US and Canada. Each, Each country was paying its share. And we were participating with uh, airplanes, mostly, and, uh, and missiles uh, to this air defense uh, together. And we built a common uh, chain of command, a headquarters in Colorado Springs, that is always commanded by a U.S. four-star general, assisted by a Canadian deputy commander, a three-star general, and the staff in the three regions, in Alaska and Canada and the, uh, the U.S., is binational. You've got American Canadians in the three command centers and the headquarters in uh, Colorado Springs. So we do all this together. We've been doing this for a long time. It stayed static and pretty much with the same strategy and tactics until 2000. When when 9-11 came up, the strategy of NORAD has always been to look outside and looking outside for missiles or airplanes, stuff that would be flying and coming over the air and would come towards, the US or Canada, towards North America. In 2000, when when 9-11 happened, uh, all of a sudden NORAD changed. We had to look inside. All of a sudden, somebody was using commercial airplanes inside of North America to attack targets inside North America. And of course, our radars were all along the outside. Nobody was looking inside. We expected the threat to come from outside. This is when we started changing and, uh, and adapting some of our stuff. But uh, we're 25 years later, and most of our warning equipment is still on the outside. It's still on the periphery. It's still looking for something that is flying high, fast, airplanes, missiles. And I say this because, because now there's something different. You've got, you've got a balloon that came from China that was flying high, but slow didn't have much of a radar cross section. Our radar built to, to to read and look for for large radar cross sections or something that's moving fast. The balloon was not part of this and it came through. So now what do we do? How do we adapt? This is NORAD, now it's going to be looking at this and say, analyze the threat. Is this a real threat? Is this something that somebody else can do? Whether it's China or Russia or somebody can exploit moving Slow platforms, balloon, or something else at high altitude like this, and be a threat to North America. And if it is, how do we protect against it? And I, I, I can bet there are there are working teams now looking at all this and figuring out what do we do next to NOAA.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so there's going to be a number of things done. Pack here, but I guess one of the first aspects to discuss is if you detect a fast moving object a large object, or in this case, a balloon now, um, how does NORAD respond? How is it postured to respond to these things in a typical scenario?
3: Yes, I think the uh, the detection piece is probably the easiest one. Uh, you've heard in the, uh, the media and some of the reactions in the U.S., some of the discussions uh, were about the uh, Radars not necessarily looking at this slow speed, and and we only need to tune our radars to to look for slower things. And, right. and, and they're right. the uh, the radars that we possess that we use to detect, we uh, tune them to to look at at uh, faster speeds. Just because uh, you don't want to pick up all the birds that are flying at slower speed that would clutter our radar or slower things. This is not what we're looking for. So the the radars were tuned differently. We, we, we can adapt so the detection piece is probably the easiest one what do you do about this that is more difficult and actually the uh, the, the the balloon that was shot uh, in uh, uh, over uh, the coast in south carolina was not necessarily the first balloon that was shot over North america uh, late 80s i remember a couple of f-18s uh, were trying to take down a weather balloon why i don't remember where was it i don't remember but i know we tried to and uh, we used a couple of f-18s and we used our guns we used bullets and tried to shoot down the balloon with their with guns and we, we we probably shot i don't know, we emptied our guns so there's 677 bullets per gun a uh, 1, thousand fifteen hundred rounds in the balloon and it didn't affect it at all, except from a bunch of small holes in the balloon. The balloon kept, kept floating and, and going through. <laughs> oh, so it went. we found out that that was not very effective. And I suspect that this experience from years back was probably remembered when it was time to shoot down this balloon at 60,000 feet. Because to shoot down a balloon at 60,000 feet, Uh, First, it wouldn't be easy to do it with guns, because you need your airplane to go up there at 60,000 feet, and there are not too many uh, airplanes that uh, can go there and stay there and and do this, and it wouldn't be very effective in the guns, so it it probably the discussion shifted to we need to use a missile. Now if you use an air-to-air missile to do this, air-to-air missiles have been built like the radars to detect and hit something that has a radar cross-section, something that has a mass, something that you can uh, you can see because it's got a radar cross-section that's big enough to see from a radar, or it's got a, a heat signature because it's got the, a hot engine. Right. Uh, so you, you've got heat missiles and you've got radar missiles. Radar missiles on the balloon, there's no radar cross-section, probably not very effective. And it's uh, close to a million dollar each, probably not the, the, what you want to use. A, uh, a heat missile, like an A-9 is what they decided to use. And it's probably the best weapon to use as long as you can detect some heat. And the balloon does not produce much heat. In the balloon itself, not much uh, heat difference. And uh, you're gonna get some heat from that balloon because it had sensors, it had, uh, so there's gonna be a battery, there's gonna be something that's operating. Uh, so you can see some uh, some heat, but it's not much, and right. that missile has not been built to attack something that small in in uh, heat signature. So it's it's a toss up. Unless you've tried it before, you, you don't know if it's going to work. And I'm sure when they decided to go with that balloon, uh, they knew that, chan- that there were chances uh, and, and a high level of chance that the missile would not detonate. It wouldn't hit anything. It would go through, fly through. And uh, explode somewhere else, and that's why they waited to be uh, to be on top of the water. I would expect that uh, knowing how NORAD makes uh, their decision uh, into all this, that they probably saw and knew about that balloon way back. Probably uh, once it flew over Alaska first, they knew about this. They assessed this as uh, as a weather balloon. Probably assessed this as being Chinese. Probably assessed this as. Uh, Probably out of control, but there's still a chance that it may, uh, it may have, have, have been directed there willfully by the Chinese to spy. But then uh, uh, they probably assess that, that 60,000 feet, 8,000 feet in weather balloon. There's only a few sensors. There isn't much more they can get from this that they wouldn't get from a, uh, from a satellite. So the threat was probably militarily assessed as low that that's what I think okay and and uh, the, the chance of if you try to take it down with a missile chance of missing and that missile going uh, and landing somewhere and exploding on the ground as high so you combine those two and I wouldn't be surprised if the melting recommendation was was to wait
0: right right
3: as it went across the uh, the U.S. it got over over the eastern part of the U.S. now you're the Eastern part of the US. It is known now, it is in the media, it is being called and talk about the, uh, the Chinese spying on the US and to all this. Now there's public pressure and probably uh, on, on a political side because of the polarization of, uh, of the two parties, one party saying, what are you doing Mr. Biden? How come you're not, you're not defending the US against the Chinese threat? So there was pressure to shoot it down. And the uh, probably the order came from the political side to take it down, mm-hmm. and uh, and and because of the risk of of uh, missile going hitting the ground, they waited to be over water and uh, and took it down. Personally, I am surprised it worked on the, on the first missile, which is a good thing, uh, and, and I'm sure some military people were very happy that it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, the, the technology on the new M9 has probably been proven as, uh, as being uh, very good, and uh, it, it was probably one more uh, item to consider, one more factor when other balloons started popping up uh, over over Alaska, and then Yukon, and uh, over Lake Erie, or Western uh, US and, uh, and Canada border.
0: Hey folks! Here is a message about our sponsor, Cubic Mission and Performance Solutions. The episode you're hearing today speaks about operational capabilities. Such capabilities come from the training that warfighters undertake to be the best they can be. Cubic supports military training by providing warfighters cutting-edge tools that are necessary for operational success. Cubic leads the way with highly precise tracking systems for aircraft and test missile ranges. This technology was adopted by militaries around the world and includes capabilities like Air Combat Maneuvering Instrumentation, which works in concert with Cubic's P-5 Combat Training System pods. So important is this technology that it is embedded as an internal subsystem in the Joint Strike Fighter. Cubic is also a leading provider of advanced, live, virtual, constructive, and game-based training solutions for Allied forces. Cubic has also developed SPEAR, a modern, Department of Defense-approved technology stack that reduces cognitive burden through optimized displays and analytics of kinetic and non-kinetic data with weapons effects in multi-domain operations and LVC environments. SPEAR melds objective and subjective data with a time-synchronized, real-time mission log and after-action reporting. This means the Revolutionary Spear software allows warfighters to visualize operations throughout the mission training cycle or during combat operations, and this enables forces to understand multi-domain operations like never before. At all levels of combat preparation and execution, Cubic solutions deliver real results. To learn more about them, please visit cubic.com. Now, let's get back to our chat with General Blondin, the former commander of the Royal Canadian Air Force. I'm glad that the first missile worked as well, and clearly the AIM-9X now has an operational history, so it's wonderful to see that that was a successful shootdown, and it's very interesting to hear about the fact that, like you said, it was probably tracked for a while and assessed as low risk, but now the reality is that this has taken place, and Now, these radars are being tuned, like you say, and now we're picking up other balloons. Um, What are your thoughts about?
3: Well, it's a a good point. I I believe that the, uh, the need or the desire to shoot down the other balloons was because, mostly because, it was related to the first one. We didn't know what it was. Let's not take a chance and shoot it down. It was related to political pressure, to we need to take action uh, on something aggressing the US tied to China. Now you've got the balloons, let's shoot them down. Well, if you shoot down more of these uh, smaller balloons uh, out there, first is the cost. It's uh, half a million dollars every time you shoot a missile. But bigger than this, I believe, the risk of, of shooting it and, and believing it's, it's going to be hit and the missile is going to go haywire and not hit anything because I, I do believe that the risk is still there. It's a very small radar cross-section. There's almost no heat. The missiles are not made to track and and, uh, and hit those smaller balloons. And eventually there's going to be one or more that they're going to go through. That's a risk. Now, cost and risk versus is this really a threat? I believe now that with with time, as we know more about those smaller balloons, we may get to the conclusion that it's not worth shooting it down. We may want to control it. We may want to address it at the source, whoever took them up, uh, maybe we can uh, get them to stop sending sending some of those uh, balloons out. It may be that uh, if you can locate them, That means you can locate other airplanes around not to fly. I don't believe it is necessarily a threat, but because it's flying at 20,000 feet or 30,000 feet that you absolutely need to shoot it down, uh, especially with the risk considered. You can always isolate airplanes and move them around. They're all controlled at that altitude. Air traffic control can move airplanes around them and, and let a balloon is, or, or that that unidentified flying object go through and eventually go over the uh, over the ocean or go somewhere where it's uh, it's not a threat anymore, but it all depends on what kind of assessment they're going to make on the military threat or the, the overall threat of this thing. And uh, hopefully they'll be able to retrieve some of the debris that uh, that's fallen and be able to uh, to locate this. But I would suspect that the decisions made on the early balloons that we saw following the bigger one we're more related to the first one right if we get more of these that we find in the next few weeks um i would suspect that there's going to be more discussions on actually do we want to shoot all of them
0: yeah i, I suspect you're right and it, that begs me to ask you about the one that was shot down over the yukon um Again, NORAD is a binational command, and so there were U.S. F-22s sortied for it and CF-18s out of uh, Canadian Forces Base Coal Lake. Um, What is your thoughts of how that particular engagement occurred? Because reporting is that the U.S. uh, jets shot it down. Um, Talk me through how that would happen from a command and control perspective.
3: Well... You had a first balloon uh, in the, uh, over South Carolina, you had one in Alaska, now you've got one over Yukon, now it's in Canadian Air- airspace. It's right. still Nora doing all this. So it's the same people who have been looking at all three situations, they know what to do, they, they understand what needs to be done. There was a, a political aspect to the decisions being made over balloons over the US. Now there's balloon over Canada. There's two things, one, political considerations are not the same, and two, aircraft capabilities are not the same. You've got CF-18s over Canada, and you've, you had F-22s over the US. And it's not necessarily airplanes as much as the, uh, the, the missile capabilities. The CF-18s have an older generation of A9s. A, uh, the F-22s have a uh, newer, the, 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 the more recent generation of A9, which are more performant. Mm-hmm. So now, Iran has this situation. They have to figure out first what do we do about this. Instead of talking to Washington, now they're talking to Ottawa, and they need to find out what does Ottawa want to do. Do you want to let it fly through, or do you, do you want to take it down? And obviously, the, the decision seems to have been: we want to take it down. Uh, let's not take a chance. And I would suspect that the recommendation is not necessarily an open question as much as a discussion between Arkansas. There would be. Uh, uh, people in Colorado Springs, people in Winnipeg, which is actually the, the headquarters of the Canadian region, and people in Ottawa, on the military side and on the civilian side, discussing what we do and coming up with the best decision. So, first you decide if you want to take it down or not. Let it let it fly. If you decide to take it down, okay, who should take it down? Because no one is going to say Ottawa. Uh, do you want us to make a decision? We'll use the, uh, the best system possible or uh, the, the consideration is should be shot down by Canadian aircraft over Canadian territory if we, have, uh, if we have the choice. They would have asked Ottawa about this. Okay. Their recommendation, again, would have been after some discussion. Somebody either in uh, Winnipeg or Colorado Springs had to explain, had discussion with military people in Ottawa and eventually with the politicians to say, if you shoot it down with an F-18, the, uh, your missile is less performing and th- there's probably more chances of not hitting the target and the missile going uh, going through. You have less of a chance if you use the A9X uh, carried by the F-22. Therefore, our recommendation militarily would be to use the F-22. But is that, the, is that a problem if we use a military? A uh, U.S. airplane to shoot down uh, a balloon over Canada. And it was Ottawa's decision. Uh, the best solution possible would have been the recommendation from uh, from NORAD, and it would have been to use the F-22. And Ottawa obviously followed the recommendation from NORAD, did not mind that there was an F-22 or an F-15, as long as the uh, we had stuff and and. And actually it, uh, it represents a confidence, a trust in a, uh, an agreement that we've had with the Americans for the last, uh, last uh, 60 years. And it's working, it's fun. We trust them as much as, uh, as the US has trusted Canadian airplanes to, to come inside the US in, uh, in 2000 over the, uh, over the 9-11 events. Uh, so that's why I think an F-22 shot it, it had the better missile. Yeah, that's, that's
0: interesting. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that missile, the AIM 9X, is slated for Canadian jets. Um, I think for the upgraded yes, uh, yes. CF 18. I
3: think it's been, on the, uh, it's been ordered a couple of years ago. We're still waiting to get them. It'd be nice to have them before we, uh, we, uh, we get rid of the F 18s. Uh, but uh, for sure, it's going to come with the F 35. So. Well,
0: yeah, and before the F-35 arrives, uh, the CF-18s are being upgraded as well. So I think part and parcel of that is to have a new missile um, with some of the upgraded CF-18s, some of which will have an upgraded radar. So yeah, hopefully those will get delivered because clearly the AIM-9X performed as desired.
3: Yeah, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, people are going to take a step back before we start shooting down every balloon that we're gonna see in the next year and in the future, if, if it's something like we've seen at 20, 30,000 feet that doesn't seem to carry any sensors, any payload or anything. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shooting it with the, with, the, with the Canadian F-18 and trying to see if that uh, older missile works or not is probably not the best thing to do. Uh, I don't think we need to do this on those, on those balloons. Uh, And I don't think we need to invite the American F-22s to come and shoot down every balloon we could see over Canada. So we should put more efforts into figuring out where they're coming from and if it's a real threat.
0: Yeah, well, I completely agree, uh, General. I I think clearly the the radars are now being tuned to pick up some of these slow, uh, high or perhaps medium altitude uh, objects, uh, these balloons. Um, but I found that really interesting that you said, and it makes a lot of sense. The radars were previously probably not tuned to that kind of, I guess, scenario.
3: No, it's, uh, and it's something that's easily done. When we, uh, we had security events inside Canada, I am thinking G8 summits, uh, where we, uh, we, we had a protected area, we had the uh, radars around. And we actually had to, to tune down our radar to pick up the slower uh, moving airplanes because at the time we just didn't want to have anybody with a Cessna that could come and fly over a GH summit location uh, because it could carry a bomb, it could carry some explosives. So an airplane that's flying 70 knots, 80 knots, uh, you, you can have a flock of birds in a uh, 40, 50 knot uh, wind at, uh, at 5,000 feet that's flying as uh, fast it could be seen to go as fast as, uh, as a Cessna. At uh, at those altitudes, and if you uh, if you if, if your radar is is low enough, you're going to pick them all. You're going to pick up the the birds. You're going to pick up the systems and all of this. So in certain situations, we did, even though we don't like to see all that clutter with the birds, we had to. Now with the uh, with the balloons, well, it means that some systems are going to have to be looking at uh, at slower speeds, right? we may see a lot more of those balloons flying at 20,000, 30,000 feet uh, because they've been there for a while and we've just never seen them.
0: Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. I, su- I suspect that's perhaps what's happened over the last week after that initial large balloon. Now some of the systems are being tuned where you're picking up some of these other balloons that you otherwise would perhaps
3: not have. And now even if, uh, if you don't get any more balloons, if we don't look at the stuff, if we don't find something, because, uh, because this issue has come up, somebody is gonna to try to exploit it. So if we, if we don't start looking, if we don't start making sure that we're closing that door for, to, to, to anybody that would want to send balloons now with, with, with something more dangerous, that is not happening in the future. So I'm sure Noah is gonna be covering that ankle uh, in the future.
0: I suspect you're right. Um, And so that actually speaks to the greater discussion about NORAD modernization. Um, Whoever was unaware of NORAD is now aware of it. And uh, there's been discussion going on for a number of years about modernizing NORAD. And I think now people are more tuned as to why NORAD is an important organization and needs to be modernized. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Like, What do we have to be looking at in terms of NORAD modernization?
3: Well, we knew 20 years ago that NORAD needed to be modernized. This uh, North Warning System is, is not young. It's, it's been there for years. 20 years ago, we were at the point in Norad where we we, uh, we prepared some briefings uh, to to tell our masters, political masters that it needs to be modernized, but this was happening at the same time as well there's, there's no threat anymore out there. Russia was not seeing, seen as a threat anymore we didn't think uh, that the uh, the Russians would uh, would be able to fly in bombers again, uh, not until Mr. Putin came back and started rebuilding its military. Uh, did we start feeling pressure again so there's no pressure and no political world to really put too much money into all this it it only came recently the modernization programs that we had 20 years ago we had to take the dust off and five years ago say russia is back russia is a threat again and we need to modernize the north and right. by the way to modernize inside North America as well, because, because there's this inside the continent that we can't see everywhere. We don't have with our coverage to cover the whole inside. So there's, there, there are some threats that, uh, that we just can't see anymore. Money's starting to flow in. Canada has said now has agreed to modernize and put some, uh, some money into it. And hopefully that's gonna come true. But hopefully it's not only based on the plans that we had 10 years ago, which I suspect money is is there for that, that there are new threats, now the balloons and uh, we may need some new system, put some more money into all this. Hopefully there's gonna be some flexibility to to adjust and ensure that NORAD is modernized the right way and covering all the threats, not just the one we thought that were there 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, and even 10 years ago, I suspect, um... It was just at the time where hypersonic missiles started to become really an important discussion point because um, that threat is, is a, very, um, it's a very complex problem to solve.
3: Absolutely. And, uh, it's, and now it's, it's, uh, we hope we're covering hypersonic. Are we covering slow? Are we covering high and slow? Are we covering low and slow? What about, uh, what about laser weapons in the future that may help... Uh, Save some money on uh, on some uh, half a million dollar missiles to shoot down some uh, some cheap targets like the uh, the balloons. Uh, I don't know, but hopefully we're gonna to listen to what we've got on our research projects and uh, and and maybe uh, take it in into our modernization efforts.
0: You know, the one thing we didn't talk about, just from a fighter pilot perspective. Um, You mentioned that the Royal Canadian Air Force tried to shoot down a balloon in the past and using the cannon, and it was not very successful. The pilots hit the balloon, but it didn't bring down the balloon. Um, From a fighter pilot perspective, how difficult is it to engage a balloon? Because it's slow moving, but you're in a fighter jet that's pretty fast moving. And if you want to slow down your fighter jet, now you're less maneuverable. So, yeah, I'd love to just kind of hear your pilot's perspective about engaging a balloon.
3: Yeah, well, it's a very it's a good point. The a balloon is almost like a stationary thing in the air when you're flying 400, 500 miles an hour around this stationary thing. So if you want to shoot uh, with a gun, you, you have to be close. You need to be inside of 6,000 feet. Which is which is a mile 6 thousand feet uh, you have maybe a couple of seconds uh, where you're flying and uh, pointing at the uh, at a balloon and then uh, you, you need to move out so it, it doesn't leave you much room for error but uh, we used to practice with uh, with that gun uh, at uh, stationary targets on the ground and we would come in and then point at it punch your gun shoot and uh, move out so it's 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 not very difficult to do you just need to be careful a balloon is a big target which makes it easier to uh, to shoot down at the same time it's a bigger target so you need to move off the target a little earlier so it's a question of being able to uh, to line up have your distance right at right distance you shoot for a second and move off you don't shoot for 5 seconds you just shoot for just a quick second, move off, and then come back and do it again. So you, you do a circuit around and shoot a few times.
0: Right. Interesting. And then, of course, the bullets you know, in, in a person's hand might seem pretty big, but in, in comparison to a big balloon, even if it's a smaller, quote-unquote, smaller balloon, um, a bullet's not really going to do much as, as, was, uh, as was demonstrated.
3: And the, the, the speed is also a difficulty with an air-to-air missile. You're flying at a certain speed when you're launching a missile. Let's say you're flying at 400 knots. So when you launch the missile, the missile is not armed. It's a safety so that it doesn't detonate close to the, uh, the airplane. Right. The missile is launched off the, uh, the rack. The engine of the missile lights, and then it starts going. and increases speed. So for a few seconds, it, it gets off, the engine lights, it moves off, at a certain distance from the, uh, from the plane, that's when the, the fuse is now active. It's a safety measure. That's a distance as well. If you're traveling at 400 knots, by the time you press on the trigger and the missile is dumped, and it goes it maybe four or five seconds before it's, uh, it's going to be active. When you do this, you're traveling. How far do you travel against a stationary uh, thing? Because you're usually using it against an airplane that's moving as well and and usually moving away from you so at relatively the same speed so the, the converging speed is uh, is much different against something that is stationary if it's a balloon it doesn't have much of a heat signature something that is very hot your missile seeker head will see it from miles away something that is really relatively cold you need to be much closer for the missile head to see a heat signature and be able to track it. So you need to be close. How close you need to be to see that heat signature and then be able to launch your missile and the missile to, uh, to to arm before it hits, I don't know. But it, it sure is a consideration when you're doing this. You, you want to shoot as far away as possible from the balloon because you didn't maneuver away from the balloon. But at the same time, it needs to have enough distance to arm. First to see with the seeking hit and then for the missile to arm so that they will explode, uh, when it gets there. So it's, it's, it's not an easy, uh, easy solution.
0: Yeah. And what are your thoughts about high off bore sight missiles? Like if you're using a Jahamek's helmet where you can target using your helmet, wouldn't that be a better solution?
3: Oh, certainly would, but then it needs to, to maneuver to get there. Right. Uh, and again, it's the same thing. If you're offboard side, let's say he's at 70 degrees, how close you need to be at 70 degrees for that head to see the heat signature that is very low, which would be closer than with a regular airplane because it doesn't have the heat signature. So you, you assume it's gonna be closer. And if it at 70 degrees and you're closer, it means it's not gonna stay at 70 degrees for long because you're moving quick. So you're diverging uh, from, from this. So if you launch it and within a few seconds, it's off site and it hasn't launched, then the missile doesn't have lock anymore. Right, right. And needs to maneuver. And, and again, needs to pick up speed. So it's, it's, it's all uh, how close you are and is the, uh, the missile able to maneuver within that closeness? And the, uh, the the more off uh, offsite you are the, the the more the missile has to maneuver uh, the, the closest it has to be because the heat signature and, and all those makes for very difficult dynamics for the missile to to be at the right position to be able to detonate close enough to the balloon right
0: right very interesting it's it's an interesting physics problem that's for sure and and uh, uh, well, at the end of the day, now we can say that the F-22 has had its first uh, air-to-air. Uh,
3: uh, uh, and I'm sure if you shoot enough balloons, you get to have the right tactic, the right distance, and right. Uh, how to approach it uh, the best and be able to shoot it, and what works, but doesn't work. Yeah. Except now, that first F-22 didn't have the, uh, didn't have the, the luxury of practicing against uh, other balloons. He uh, had to have it perfect the first time, which, which is good.
0: It's very good. It's, it's, uh, it's a testament to the pilot, it's a testament to the platform, and it's a testament to the weaponry. So um, everything seemed to work out, out well there. But, uh, but I thank you, General, for that, uh, that insight, because it, it's, it, you know, coming from a pilot who's been up in the air and, and knows what it's like to fire missiles, uh, that insight is, is invaluable. I appreciate it. So you alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, if you were a fly on the wall... What do you suspect are the principal discussions going on inside the walls of NORAD? About the balloons? Yeah, about the balloons in particular, but I guess more broadly as well.
3: Well, NORAD is a a military institution. But as you go up uh, the the chain of command and you get to uh, certainly Colorado Springs, the political dimension is integrated into, into the kind of decisions you need to make and the kind of recommendations you need to make. When the decisions are made at that level, the political dimension has to be incorporated into what you do, and and, and very often, the political side is going to make decisions on what you do. So how do you how do you process the information, not the information you have, package it uh, to, to ensure that the... Your political masters have all the information they need to make a decision, and that decision is going to be rational. It's going to be uh, what, what you would expect, not tainted by uh, by something that, that is not necessarily germane to the decision. This discussion uh, and what happened to NORAD evolved throughout the week. At first, for NORAD, it was a balloon that was flying. It was a weather balloon. That was uh, going to fly over uh, North America. So uh, at first, there's no real political considerations. You see it, you assess the threat. Okay, we assess it's probably a, uh, a weather balloon. It is probably Chinese, and uh, and then you get to the point where it's probably not a threat. If it's a weather balloon, it's just just uh, on wrong course. But there's a chance that it's a spy balloon, that the Chinese are using a weather balloon and it's actually some sensors. Okay, let's go with that scenario. What is the threat if it's, a, if it's a spy balloon? And I'm sure they went through all this and somebody had to figure out what kind of sensors they could have, what kind of information could they get, and if it's going to fly over the U.S., uh, is is that a threat to us? Is, 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 should we get rid of this balloon? So uh, I would assume that... Uh, Somebody came to the conclusion that it's, it's not a real threat because there isn't much you're going to see that you, they can't see with the, uh, with the satellite. There isn't much you are going to hear, they can't hear with some other means. Uh, so, no, not much of a threat. And, and again, they need to do this into, because if, if it is a threat, they need to take it down. Uh, so, uh, but, but I, I believe they didn't get to need to get down. I think they assessed it as a low threat and let it fly, but they're not the only ones that know or that can see this. So right. as they let it drift, because they assume it's not a threat, there are, there are other people that either heard about this or, or uh, it could be an airliner or saw the balloon or eventually it came, uh, came to somebody else in But my point is eventually it, it came out the media. There's a balloon flying. Over and it's uh, probably a Chinese weather balloon, and uh, it's flying over the U.S. As this is coming out in the media, now you've got discussion in the media. Say Chinese are spying on us, and, and now right. it's it's getting into into a different dimension where the media turn it into a threat. The political discussion becomes a threat, and of course you've got polarized situation in the U.S. So if if the present government has not shut it down, you're gonna get the, uh, the, the Republicans saying, how come you didn't shoot it down? It is, uh, it is a threat uh, and, and Mr. Biden was attacked on this. So now that discussion happening means that in NORAD, you, you need to step back and say, okay, well, we're probably gonna be asked to shoot it down. But now that balloon is over the, uh, over the eastern uh, part of the US which is more populated. Now you're into okay, if we shoot it down, well, the Canadians tried it, uh, it doesn't work with the gun, 60,000 feet, we need to use a missile, we're not sure if the missile is going to detonate, so you get rapidly the conclusion that it's going to be hard to to, uh, to take it down, and if we do take it down, lucky, but low percentage, chances are we're going to shoot, we're not going to take it down, and missile's going to come down, explode somewhere else, and there are people on the ground, so embarrassment for not being able to shoot it down, plus danger to people, embarrassment for now, the missile is uh, is, is, is on U.S. soil. That is being discussed in, in NORAD. Political side is asking NORAD, okay, well, we need to take it down because they're feeling the pressure on the public. It's being seen as a Chinese threat, let's take it down. And now NORAD is, uh, is telling them, their, their advice is turning into, I understand the political situation, but, if you want to take it down, do you want to take the risk that that missile is going to hit downtown Philadelphia or somewhere and explode? That's the kind of discussion now that you have between the headquarters and the political side, and the political side has to make a decision. Obviously, the political side accepted the risk and said, okay, because I, I'm sure the HQ pointed the risk where they, we don't think it's much of a threat. Right. So that that was probably the kind of assessment that came out to, and that's why Mr. Biden decided to, although he was getting all the pressure to wait until it gets over the uh, the Atlantic. But there was there, was, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure of can we can we find it once it's shot down? Can we make sure we can look at and figure out is it spying or not? And and I'm sure the interest was there on the military side as well. We need to figure out if this is a threat, if the Chinese have uh, something in there that would be. Uh, a threat and, and, and it's all part of I need to assess this action what do I do next because if there's a balloon coming up next week the same part it's still going to be the same assessment is it a right. threat or not and if I still don't know how many do I need to shoot before I, I know Right. because you're always going to be with the same, uh, the same factors to consider shooting with a missile is difficult chances are that missile may land into a populated area what do you do so this all the stuff that, that NORAD had to go through a week. And now they're into. I need more information on this stuff because next time I need to know what do I do? The military wants to have a solution to that problem now.
0: Very interesting. So one thing that I did not ask you about was the actual fighter response. Like, you know, we talked about the F-22s. We talked about the CF-18s. Um, do you think... You know, not to talk about any particular tactics or, or you know, uh, where aircraft are positioned, but it's common knowledge that aircraft go through different alert bases, I guess, forward operating bases and what have you. But um, do you see anything changing there?
3: No, I, I, I don't think so. The, the primary threat has to be the way it is that we've spent for the last 60 years. You've got military airplanes, you've got, uh, you've got missiles and has to take down airplanes, that's the biggest threat. Until, until we know that the, uh, the balloons or something else can be a threat, you don't change anything. I don't believe that balloons are gonna be much of a threat that will need some, uh, some rethinking, although you never know, but I, I, I don't believe so. What you've got with NORAD now is based on, on, on a missile threat, uh, uh, military air, airplanes, uh, missile flying, high or low, and uh, it's optimized uh, for this. Uh, I think it's going to stay that way. If if you've got something else, you need to figure out what it is, and then figure out what's the best way to do it. I I don't believe it's going to involve the uh, necessarily the posture and and where uh, airplanes uh, and missiles are right now.
0: Right, right. Well, I, I hope not uh, because yeah, this was this was a remarkable couple of weeks. Uh, you know, the first kinetic action that NORAD's ever taken in its history. And um, I am so thankful that people like yourself are here to speak to it and, and to add some clarity to what happened and, and also some insight into the thought process that, that goes on behind all of this. Um, but I think it certainly it, it does speak to to the fact that, uh, that there are threats that are evolving. There's different threats that may emerge and, uh, and NORAD has to be responsive to all of it.
3: Yes, and I, I do believe that uh, through the week, we heard about UFOs, about, uh, about uh, China's uh, military threat into all this. In the end, it was a big balloon and a few smaller balloons. I don't believe that uh, there was much of a military threat into all this. Uh, I, I think once we know more about all this, we may have more clarity where those smaller balloons are coming from and what we do about this. But uh, I'm hoping that the, the, uh, the original hype and concern has, uh, has, has been taken down. And, uh, and, and we're not too concerned about, about all of this. Uh, I, I don't believe there's much of a, uh, of a threat out there. It's just a, a bit of a known that uh, we need to figure out where it's coming from and what we do about this. And, and hopefully it's gonna be a, a few companies or a few people we can talk to and uh, get them to to, to be more disciplined into, uh, into flying balloons in Canada.
0: Yeah, and I would add to that with the fact that, unfortunately, the United States is very polarized. I see some polarization coming into Canada as well. And when it comes to defense, things should not be a political hot potato. It shouldn't be, what are you doing or what are you not doing? It should just be, do the right thing. Um
3: you're absolutely right. And I'm glad that uh, actually the way we've built NORAD, the fact that it's apolitical and it's, uh, it's binational, there's some great great minds in there and, and they're doing the right recommendations. And what I've seen in the last week is actually it all made sense to me. I think we made the right decisions. I think the, the, the political levels were were briefed the right way. And I think they made the, uh, the right recommendations to get the right decisions. So it turned out fine. Now, hopefully uh, we're gonna save some, uh, some missiles in the future and, uh, and, and be, uh, uh, be more careful for the next ones coming through until we know for sure what's happening.
0: Yeah, I agree. Lieutenant General Yvonne Blandin, former commander of the Royal Canadian Air Force. Thank you, sir. This has been uh, been a wonderful chat. I really appreciate your insight. And I look forward to the next time that you will join us here on Go Bold because uh, you will be back. And uh, and I look forward to that.
3: Jyoti, you're always welcome. Call back whenever. Uh, I'm always happy to discuss stuff with you.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, the honor is mine. That, my friends, was retired Lieutenant General Yvonne Blundin, the former commander of the Royal Canadian Air Force. If you have any questions for us at Go Bold, please reach us at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to you joining us on another episode. Have a great day, everyone.
3: The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is "Parasail" by Silent Partner.